Welcome to Tech News of the Week with your host, the toupee of Leo DiCaprio. Welcome to Top Nations of the Wembley. I'm Ned. With me is Chris. This is our weekly tech news podcast where we dive into four stories that we found interesting over the course of about 10 minutes. I did the main article for this week. So, Chris, it falls on you to kick off Tech News of the Week. Fine. Fine. Advertising company Google loses monopoly case around the Android App Store. Hmm. Or the Google App Store or the Google Play Store or some kind of store. (laughs) Show of hands if you had this one on your bingo card for this year. Fortnite creator Epic Games won their case against Google. The one that restricted developers to exclusively use Google's App Store for purchases. Oh, This is the same case that they essentially lost against Apple earlier this year. In short. Google was found guilty of abusing their monopoly position by bribing phone makers into not allowing the Epic Game Store onto devices and threatening to revoke Google services certifications if they did. Bad. Bad. Additionally, they bribed other major development houses such as Riot and Activision to not develop app stores of their own in the first place. Mm. Why this case, which was started in 2020, took three years to resolve when the facts are so obvious on their face is absolutely beyond me. Lawyers. The reason is lawyers. Right. Now, Apple won their case for a couple of reasons. One, rather snarkily, the Epic Game leader said something along the lines of, Apple didn't write anything down. (laughs) (laughs) But two, the way that iOS is built, other app stores are impossible. Mm. Android is designed to be more open with sideloading applications, a relatively easy process that does not require rooting a device. You can just do it. Yep. Apple, in my opinion, got away with a gross technicality, but a legal technicality. Mm -hmm. Google abusing their monopolistic position via intimidation and payoffs, not legal. Nope. At least according to this ruling. This ruling, of course, Google will appeal because, as we all know, behaving with fairness and decency towards consumers and partners is not in the shareholder's best interest. And won't somebody think of the shareholders? Please, they're so sad. 20 gigabits per second for a mere $250 per month? I honestly can't tell if I'm being facetious or not. Google Fiber announced back in October that they will be offering 20 gigabit per second symmetrical speed in their Google Fiber service. They're calling it the 20 gig plus Wi-Fi 7 package. So you're not only getting 20 gig internet service to your residential home, but also a Wi-Fi 7 router as part of the package. Of course, you probably don't have anything that can use Wi-Fi 7 in your house right now, but once you do, those devices will actually be able to take advantage of the extra bandwidth. As we covered in a previous main episode, Wi-Fi 7 will be able to hit a theoretical 40 gigabits per second in ideal conditions. Heavy emphasis on ideal. The blog post about the 20 gig plus Wi-Fi 7 offering did not include any pricing which Google has remedied with a follow-up post last week. As you may have surmised by the article title, the price will be $250 a month, which is um, well, that's pretty reasonable, considering I pay about 60 bucks a month for one gigabit service. 
The first markets to get 20 gig will be Kansas City, North Carolina's Triangle Region, Arizona, and Iowa, all rolling out in Q1 of 2024. Hey Google, when is Google Fiber going to come to my area? Sorry about activating everyone's Google devices, but I figured you'd also want to know. Octabreach severity, severely upgraded. Yay? See what I did there? I did. And I quote, Okta upped its original estimate of customer support users affected by a recent breach from 1% to 100%, (laughs) (laughs) citing a discrepancy, unquote. That is one hell of a discrepancy. 100%. Like, I don't even even feel like I need to read the rest of this. (laughs) From 1 to 100. Okay, fine. Okta has been dealing with the fallout of a breach since it was first announced back in October. Back then, they assured us it wasn't a big deal, relatively speaking. Quote, about 1% of its customers were affected, thus notified, changed passwords, etc., etc., etc. Then, in late November, they silently updated the post that discussed the incident to use the somewhat troubling word, all. Oh. All customers. 100%. Everybody. Wow. Now, there are some silver linings here. Sure. First off, there's Okta's root cause analysis post, which itself is different and has not been updated to say all, we should note. Anyway, the RCA states that the attack window, which was between September 28th and October 17th, had attackers utilizing a built-in system account to scrape data from the customer support system. One thing that was captured for certain customers was something called a HAR file, H-A-R. These contained session tokens that could then in turn be used to hijack active customer sessions, thus expanding the attack from Okta's systems to customers' systems. That is no laughing matter, Chris. Once you get a foothold, you put your feet in it. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't have anywhere to go with that. Fair enough. The RCA says that this happened to five customers. But again, it also hasn't been updated. For the all part of this, it was data scraping per usual. Names, account info, email addresses, roles, phone numbers, etc. This is bad, but admittedly, it's not as bad as the whole session hijacking thing. Mm -hmm. If you are one of the smaller group with compromised HAR files, you likely have already been privately notified and are suitably pissed off. For the all customers group, the usual lecture applies. Change your passwords, make sure that they're unique from site to site, use MFA everywhere, don't trust any emails from strangers, hit the gym, delete Facebook, unplug your computer, set it on fire, take a walk outside, renounce your citizenship, change your name, start a new life as a surly yet mysterious surf instructor in Portugal. I think I got a little off track there, but I feel like all that is valid. Ah, Standard operating procedure, as we all know. Say goodbye to perpetual licensing VMware customers. Now that Broadcom has officially completed the acquisition of VMware, one of their first actions was to get rid of that pesky perpetual licensing model. To the surprise (laughs) of no one. No one. Many tech vendors have transitioned over to a subscription-based model for their licensing over the past decade. It's fun and also neat. I love not owning anything and renting it all. Depreciation is stupid. I told my accountant that after I fired him. Customers who have existing perpetual licenses with an active support contract can continue on for now. 
But once the SNS contract is up, Broadcom will come calling for those sweet, sweet subscription dollars. Among the products impacted are VMware Cloud Foundation, vSphere, vSAN, NSX, and, well, pretty much everything else. In addition to these licensing changes, Broadcom has also laid off at least 2,800 people and announced that it is selling off the carbon black and EUC portions of the company. This is clearly a move for Broadcom to divest itself of the whiniest customers as uh, while keeping the big fish on the line and reeling in the dough. Ooh, I made a fishing analogy. How delightful. There's certainly an opportunity for alternative solutions to take advantage of Broadcom's moves. I'm looking at you, Nutanix. We'll see if they can make hay now that Broadcom has handed them a fork. Ooh, more metaphors. It's why you keep coming back, right? Please keep coming back. Right. Please, please keep coming back. All right. That's it. We're done. Going now. Bye. <laughs>